Welcome to the Heroic Minds Podcast, where we uncover the heroic stories of individuals battling through adversity and rising to the top of professional sport, business, and life. Uncovering the characteristics, the secrets, the tactics to become the hero of your own story. Because it is adversity that maximizes human potential. Welcome back to Heroic Minds. Today's episode is an exciting one because our guest is about to embark on an 8,000 kilometer bike ride across Canada, all to raise awareness for mental health. And the key being that those dealing with mental health issues of all sorts can still have the ability to lead a healthy, happy life. Our guest today is Ryan Martin, 23 years old, a courageous young man that has accepted his bipolar disorder and that has allowed him to be resilient, adaptable, and courageous in controlling his thoughts and emotions so that he can lead a happy and healthy life. He now wants to share how he got to that point and what he does today to maintain his thoughts and emotions so that he can then do whatever it is he wants to do. Ryan, I can't wait to hear your story. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you for having me. Before you realized there was any adversity you were going to have to deal with, what did you get up to as a kid? What were things that entertained you? How did you stay busy? How did you stay in or out of trouble? Um, yeah, so I kind of grew up in a pretty like active family. Uh, my parents, like from an early age, it was like, okay, what sports can we get you into? Like in the summer, like what, like let's maximize your summer. Like we're going to do lacrosse camp. We're going to do soccer, basketball, like never, I'll oh, actually a little, little bit of hockey, uh, tennis, golfing a lot of like different sports without really specializing in one except for downhill skiing. Um, I got into football in high school. I played from grade 10 to 12 and uh, like really enjoyed my time. Wasn't like a superstar or anything. Uh, and then during those years, I was also skiing a lot as well. So how serious did downhill skiing get? Um, so, I mean, it, it like you can go pretty deep in downhill skiing, just like hockey, like you can go to the, um, you know, fist level it's called, but um, I, I uh, I definitely wasn't like you know top class. I I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like my passion. I would much prefer to go on a ski trip out west and ski, you know, in the back bowls and get some powder and go off some like little cliffs or something, then jump in a spandex suit and minus twenty <laughs> ski down and freaking crash into a net. Um, and so, yeah, so I I called it quits probably when I was like in grade ten or eleven, and then I moved into coaching. So I started coaching uh, young racers. Um, get, like helping them kind of develop those, you know, foundational skills, I guess. Um, I did that for about five years. By the time I was in university, I was not really doing anything competitively, just doing intramurals and stuff. And I had a lot of like, you know, the classic like golf in the summers. I was doing a lot of kiteboarding or as much as I could. Um, and then kind of picked up hockey just for fun as well. Nice. So you, you went through growing up very active, playing a lot of sports, started to become a little more serious in football and downhill skiing then you start coaching downhill skiing you move into university you're in first year university and now you're basically taking on the life of a university student you're doing the intramurals getting to know people from first year university take me through the first point where you realized wait a second something's going on something's not right in grade 10 I uh, you know started feeling like disconnected with like my closer friends and I kind of got involved just some guys and and we kind of started getting into some to some like probably bad decisions like I did that for about a year and a half and just started realizing like 
what am I doing? Like, I'm a smart guy. I have a great family. And uh, if I'm not going to, like, snap out of this, I'm not going to get into university. I really want to go to Laurier for business. So I decided that time has come to uh, make a little change here. And I just kind of snapped out of it and was like, okay, let's dial in on school. Let's get reconnected with my old friends. And then I kind of set myself up for success to get into school or get into Laurier and kind of take it from there. So that's kind of like the, I guess, background to, you know, where I guess adversity really started coming into my life because I kind of dealt with like anxieties and stuff and in, in high school, but like, you know, like at the top of a ski or ski course before the race, I'd like get like this out of body experience with like so much anxiety and I get on the course and, you know, it's like in hockey practice, you can be a superstar and then you get into the game and you just kind of lock up. And so it was like this overwhelming anxiety that I had. Like this is before I really knew what was going on. So I was just like, you know, I'm weak. This is like a fault. Like, sorry. Yeah, this is a fault of mine. And that's kind of why I stopped racing. Like, I just like, I couldn't perform when you had to. And um, so, yeah, yeah. So then I kind of got to university and then the the mental, like, I don't want to say struggles. It's not like a sob story, but like the mental challenges I guess that I was facing kind of became more visible to me but again I just didn't know what was going on I'm like I'm weak I'm socially awkward I'm like reading articles about how to like be comfortable with like people and stuff I just thought it was like the surface level issue like what's going on um and it took you know <laughs> it took five years to to uh understand that this is out of my control this is something like so big and like chemical imbalance with like neurochemical imbalance in my brain. Like I can't, I can't meditate enough to change that. I can't exercise enough to change that. Like this is something that is so much bigger. And what point did you realize that? So I don't like throughout university, late, later in university, I would just have like these mood swings, like, and not like, yeah, like, there'd be times where I'm, like, feeling, like, on top of the world, like, I'm cool, like, you know, I had a great party last night, met some, like, cool people, like, feeling kind of, you know, top of the world, <laughs> and then there'd be times where I'm just, like, absolutely in the trenches, like, at home, like, like, like everything is just so, like, dark, and, like, you're, you're feeling so helpless, you don't know why, like, what, like, why is this happening, like, again, it kind of goes to, like, a lot of these stories you interview people on, like, there's no explainable reason for why this is happening. Mm -hmm. And you, it's just so much confusion. And uh, um, I started seeing, like, in third year university, I was like, I need to, like, do something about this because it's, like, it's uh, it's really affecting my social life. It's affecting school. So I went and saw, like, a counselor on, on campus at Laurier and um, just did some talk therapy like it just I just like exploded with emotions that like I just been containing like hadn't talked to anyone about like how it's so hard for three years yeah like wow. throughout university yeah like I mean that was the prime yeah and it was so hard during those times to like like you're confused why is this happening I don't know but the hardest part is like trying to understand what those emotions are what those thoughts are like what are, what is all this like it's just like this crazy mess in your brain it's so hard to put a pinpoint on it are so hard to yeah put a pinpoint on it to just be able to communicate it to anyone mm -hmm. like if i was going through that back then i'd be like yeah i'm just like not feeling well and i'm really tired and i just don't know like how to like explain it so like that process is so hard because you you can't talk about it you just don't know how 
And so I started seeing a therapist. I just like freaking exploded. It was crazy. It like was probably one of the most amazing, liberating experiences of my life. Um, and I walked out of there. I was like, yes, like all my problems are solved. I just have to talk. All I have to do is talk about this kind of stuff and my problems are solved. I'll never forget. Like, I walked out of there, I got in my car and I was like, I can call any of my friends right now and feel totally comfortable. I could like go up to a girl and talk to her. I could like walk into a class and put my hand up, you know, and uh, it was awesome. Like, it was such a good feeling. And, uh, and like, sure enough, like a week later, these like really nasty, judgmental, criticizing thoughts slowly start coming back. And the beneficial effect of that talk therapy I'd done just kind of diminishes. And again, that's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a snowball of all those negative thoughts kind of building up and then all of a sudden you're back to square one. And, uh, and it's so frustrating when you get to that point and it's so disappointing because at one point you're like, this is it. I solved like my issues. And so I only saw my therapist like twice and like each time it went, it was like this, you know, like explosion of emotions, feeling great for a couple of days and then back to square one. And then the same time, same thing the second time I saw her. So I got really discouraged. Um, I ended up going to my um, uh, GP, like general practitioner, my doctor, and uh, he prescri- I told him what's going on. He's like, yeah, you have uh, depression. So here's uh, antidepressant. Good luck. <laughs> and that was it. And so I started taking it and it was like, I don't know what to expect. I'm like, well, again, so it's, I'm, I'm so new to this whole, like trying to like solve these, figure yeah, out these problems. Yeah, were you hesitant at taking Well, no, I was like, let's freaking give me all the medication. Yes, you can, right. like, let's fix Jack this. me up. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and like, I didn't know anything about medication for um, uh, mental health. And so I started taking this antidepressant. It takes like four to six weeks to kick in. And before I start taking it, I'm like, this is the happy drug. This is what's going to make me feel like everyone else put me on that level that's like just normal and happy all the time successful no negative thoughts no no judging yourself comfortable in social situations everything and um so it takes six weeks i want to emphasize that so i started taking it three days later i was on cloud nine i was so happy it was it, it was insane that summer i was running my own carpet like i was collecting used carpet from garbage bins and selling it to my dad's recycling company like i'm in dumpsters you know but happy so freaking happy i'd be like i'd be driving all over ontario just like in my car just like music blurry like calling all my friends which i like sometimes struggle with and like calling everyone and like just listening enjoying every moment and uh and then like the third day went by and uh i was like something's up like what is going on and I, uh, I was like, okay, I got to test this because I'm so not used to being sustainably happy. And um, I said, I'm going to test this. I'll never forget this. I was sitting in my bed, leaning on my uh, headboard. That's right. Yeah, back headboard. And uh, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try and be sad. I know what it feels like, but I'm going to try. So I start, started thinking like really negative thoughts about myself, um, what people think of me, you know, my future, my past, trying to like feel shame and uh didn't do anything i'm like okay like i'm just like buzzing with like this like high of like euphoric you know feeling <clears throat> and uh was it almost too too good? way too high too high and almost then, like it was too much to control yeah. kind of okay yeah it's like a manic 
right you know now that i understand like that for with bipolar and that's that's what happens with antidepressants when you have bipolar it can trigger manic like intense manic and also trigger really bad depression it's just not the right medication for bipolar now I know that. And uh, anyways, like three days after that moment where I tried to be sad, I just freaking crashed and burned like so hard. And I'm like, what is happening? Like this is supposed to be it. This is the happy medication. Again, when I go back to the therapy examples, like I thought this was it. Mm-hmm. And this was supposed to be it too. And then it's just like this overwhelming sense of disappointment. And again, like you start thinking like, okay, what's wrong with me? Like I, that was so awesome and feeling so good. I could talk to anyone. I felt so confident in myself. And now I'm back to square one. And uh, so I gave up. I said, I'm, I'm not taking this medication anymore. And uh, and then like probably two years went by of me just going through like these huge up and downs. Without any medication? No medication, no therapy. I was just like, I need to just kind of figure this out. And like, I don't want to go to therapy. Like, like, I guess a little bit of denial and just like hesitation to go back into therapy and like throughout that two year span, probably I was, um, I had like a, a great girlfriend and, um, you know, we shared like a lot of great times together, but you know, like I was doing well in school and like, and I had a good, like my friend group didn't disappear, even though how uncomfortable I felt at times, like we're all, everything was just in place yet. Like I'm just down here, like just barely scraping by, like feeling like at any moment, all oh, this could be stripped away from me. I'm going to be alone. And, um, uh, I'll be totally screwed and it's just gonna like I'll just be yeah like just in a really bad spot so how did that (laughs) during those two years then where you thought you were gonna deal with this on your own without the medication without the therapy you had the girlfriend that I'm sure was supportive how did this affect your family or what was your family's involvement in this pretty like bare minimum not that they wouldn't have wanted to be there it was because they didn't understand like my family had never been exposed to serious mental health issues. And in their eyes, I was this kid who, and not to boast myself, but like got along with everyone. Like people gener- like in general liked me. Um, you know, I was um, really social. I got a lot, I had great friends. You know, I had a great relationship with a lot of people. And so for them to like, to have that mindset and then me to come up to my mom and be like, mom, I'm like really not feeling well. Like, and again, I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. So she's like, Ryan, like everyone, feel sad sometimes like everyone feels anxious um like it's okay like I feel that way too you know it's it's okay and I'm like that could be true but I just I just feel like this is deeper than that like this is on another level that I just can't compare this with anyone and uh yeah so like those two years it was like and so then slowly I started being able to explain what was going on in my head like really slowly and it was so hard like I remember sometimes I'd be sitting on my couch at home so worked up and overwhelmed in a really bad mental spot and me just sitting there like staring like at the ceiling or something and my mom was being like Ryan talk to me like what is going on and I just like can't verbalize like I want to so bad I just don't know where to start and uh yeah so it's just a slow gradual process and I'm like yeah I'm gonna go on medication again and my parents are like, why? Like, and I'm like, dad, mom, like, it's because I have a chemical imbalance. Like, my social, the social work I was seeing at Lori is like, Ryan, I think you have, like, chemical imbalance. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, I don't care. Like, just give me some medication. And she's like, I think you have a chemical imbalance. And, um, like, I think these antidepressants are going to help. You know, all they do is help level up, level out the ups and downs. I'm like, 
that's exactly what I need. Like I need to be on a straight line, just like everyone else. <laughs> and uh, every day needs to be like the same, and you know, feeling good about yourself. I'm like, that's what I need. So I go home and be like, mom and dad, I think I'm gonna go on this. Actually, it's my mom first. I need to go on this to like level out my ups and downs. And uh, she's like, okay, but like, I don't know. Like she just had a hard time understanding why. And again, she loves me. And like, my mom is like the foundation in my life. But it was, again, like hard for us to appreciate and understand. So after you decide to get back on the medication, where do things go from there? Well, like what got me to go back on the medication was like these like unbelievably intense like breakdowns crying um, during class or on no campus? just like i was on exchange in denmark wow and uh, with my girlfriend like again time of my time of our lives but uh i would just like have these breakdowns like i just like couldn't contain the emotions and uh and i remember like one time we were driving uh on a bus in croatia like this big you know like tourist bus to one of the cities there and we were talking, like, just kind of saying, like, yeah, like, I think it's going to be good for me to go back on medication, go to a therapist, like, okay, let's, like, let's set myself up for success. That's my line. Set yourself up, set yourself up for success. And uh, when I get back, let's do that. And, like, I have one more semester of school. I have one more semester to see my counselor for free at Laurier, which is awesome. Not, like, $140. <laughs> and uh, so, I was like, okay, great. So, I got home. I saw a therapist before school started, like, during the summer. And just again, this big explosion. Kind of understood that like this session is not going to solve my life, all my problems, and uh, and then saw her. I was like, I need to like get some structure to seeing you. I need to like keep working. I can't just be like this one conversation where I explode with emotions and then fade back into my you know depression or anxiety or mood swings. She's like, okay, I'll see you every like three weeks. That's the most I can do because like it's a free service at Laurier and there's a lot of demand. I said, awesome. And then slowly conversations came back of her being like, Ryan, like, would you consider going back on an antidepressant? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this is what I want to do. So I talked to my parents a lot. I talked to my girlfriend a lot. And um, I decided that I'm going to give it a shot. You know, and, and, and a hard part of that is is when you go on medication, you're, you're partially accepting that there is something wrong. And, uh, and that's why there's hesitation, right? Because you're accepting that you know, there's something wrong. And like, maybe you have to be on this for a month, maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe this is all going to go away in a year because the medication solves it. Or that terrifying thought of like, this is for life. Like this is going to be a long journey. And that's something that is, that I wanted to, you know, brush under or put under the rug, you know. And I, did, at I, that point, was someone telling you that it, there was a possibility of that or was it open-ended? And kind of, not really. Like, it's just my thoughts taking me there. My therapist was always like, or my social social worker was always like really like supportive of me. But yeah, like it was just kind of in my head. Like it was scary to think that. Mm-hmm. And like, I, and again, like with my parents, it'd be like, yeah, like one medication. And my dad was always like, it took a longer, it took a while longer for my dad to come around on this. So he's like, you know, like I don't think you need to be on medication for that long. And I'm like, well, what if I have to? Like, is that going to be a problem? <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I went back on. And the conversations kind of kept going with my social worker and uh, or counselor, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and then by the end, so I went in my last semester of school. It's so like the last couple of sessions I saw her, I was like, what's going to happen after this? <laughs> like, I have to find a job. Like, am I going to be able to hold a job? Like, I can barely, like, manage my emotions day to day. She said, no, like, whatever, whatever. We'd talk. And she said, right, like, 
there's a chance that you might have bipolar. And in my head, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I don't have bipolar. Not, not me. Like, like bipolar is like a mental disorder. And I'm not going to accept that. Um, and so I just forgot she said that because I didn't believe it at all. And, um, and, and then I stopped seeing her and, uh, and then everything, all the problems came back. I actually got a job like really quickly at a school, like an awesome company in Kitchener, like a tech company. And, uh, things were going great. I went to Florida, like before I started working, I went to Miami, like stayed in a hostel, like met all these awesome people around the world and just was, it was awesome experience. And were you still on medication at this point? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, on an antidepressant. Right. So I started in September. Okay. And now we're talking February. Yeah. And so I started work March, beginning of March. And you know the the ups and downs come back. And uh, my girlfriend and I actually broke up around New Year's, and uh, I think we just kind of both decided it was for the best. And um, you know we both like really loved each other like just as human beings and a lot of respect and it was like such a hard decision but um I, we just kind of both felt it had to happen and uh so i started working and then again like I, I think at that time i was really trying to be proactive about you know i was like i have social anxiety like that's what this is i feel really uncomfortable in social anxiety or in social situations but um for now I realized that that's just like a surface level issue of what's going on at a much deeper level. That's just one aspect of what I deal with. It's not the, you know, the main challenge. And uh, so, yeah, I started working and again, I'm like doing like this online social anxiety, like 40 week course. It's like, it's pretty intense. Like you're listening to this guy. Talk. And you went and found that yourself. Yeah. I was like, okay, like I need, like, I'm going to address this because. And is this to prove to yourself that you don't have bipolar No, it was disorder? like, I need like, no, like bipolar was like out of the question. Yeah. Like, at this point still. Not right. even on my mind. Yeah. Um, not on my radar because now it's like, okay, like social anxiety is like one of the biggest things I was dealing with. Even though everyone thinks I'm so social, <laughs> which is the problem. Yeah. Because no one would like be like, oh, Ryan, you're not social today. It's like, you're really social. It's like, there's definitely not a problem. Yeah, exactly. I met you 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, like we're strangers, best buddies already. Yeah. yeah. Even though in my head, like with my friends, I could be like going through like hell and they never knew. Now they know that I was going through that. And it's not their fault. It was going on in my head. And so I was doing this social anxiety course and it was like working some days. And like, I remember one of the strategies was uh, talking slowly because when you talk slowly, it slows down your brain and it slows down the anxiety because you're forced to just take your time with speaking. And, and I was like, again, like, I was like, this is it. <laughs> this is the solution. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I remember like I had my friend Luke over and then like, I have the utmost respect for Luke. Like we have like one of my best friends by far. And it's one of those guys that, like, you talk about, like, school, you talk about life, you talk about business. It's not, like, just shooting. Yeah. And um, he came over with his sister one night. And I, like, I was, like, struggling, but, like, I was doing this course to help. And he came over, and, and he's, someone, he's someone that I, 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 I think about what I say before I say it because I just really respect him. 
and um, and uh, he came over, and I remember like just leaning on the counter, and my mom and my my mom and Luke and his sister were at the, sitting down at the counter. I was standing up, so when I would talk, everyone was like looking up at me, and I kind of had my hands leaning on my hands on the countertop, and everyone I started talking, everyone looks up, and I just like I'm gonna talk slow, like in my head I'm like I'm gonna talk slow, so I talk slow, and then the cover like my part of the conversation ended, and I was like freaking killed it <laughs> like yes this is it like all my social problems are cheered <laughs> and uh and then yeah so i started doing that more but then again like i'd start going through these mood swings and i'd be like okay all i have to do is talk slow and like then this is gonna go away but then it wouldn't <laughs> because talking slowly doesn't help when you're depressed it helps when you're anxious and you're in front of people so uh so yeah, I stopped doing this course, and again, the mood swings happen, and then, um, th- like this part of the story is really where everything just blew up. Um, so my ex-girlfriend. Um, Wait, so you're a year out of university? I'm like, I'm like February of finishing in December. Okay. Yeah, and like, yeah, February, March now. So I've been yeah. working for a couple weeks. Yeah. And uh, my ex-girlfriend, my buddy Graham, uh, love him to death. He said. <laughs> Ryan, like he was working in Toronto at the time and she lived in Toronto and she's like, he's like, I saw her with a guy. I just wanted to let you know. And it was just like this, like this friggin' like black hole in my chest where like I just, it's like I didn't want to faint. I didn't want to like cry. It was like this, like this knot that was just like so tight and, and I just, I still can't explain it. You know, I was thinking about that a lot, really. Like, you know, she's seen someone. And then, and then. So that weekend, it's this big, like, huge race. It's two days, and it's really great. So, like, all my friends come home who are racing, like, competitively now, like, into college. And I get to see them. And all my buddies from school, or, like, from Guelph are there. She, she walks in the clubhouse. She comes up to me out of respect, which I thought was cool for her. But she said, I just want to let you know that I'm seeing someone. That not... Like, if it can get tighter, it did. <laughs> and, like, this out-of-body, crazy, like, insane. So I leave. I'm in such bad mental shape. And I just feel so, like, low. I feel anxious. I feel like I'm going to be alone forever. Like, it was just everything. Like, everything came together. Uh, I was driving home later that day from Collingwood back to Guelph with Luke and Graham, like, two of, like, two of my best friends. And I'm like, I need to call her to like tell her how much this hurts. And they're like, are you sure? I'm like, yes. And so I'm like literally entering her number into my phone. And all of a sudden I just start second guessing. And my friends aren't saying anything. I'm just getting in my head. And all of a sudden I just start crying. And I just break down. I just, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't like pretend that like everything's fine with my friends and my family. They're like, Ryan, like pull over. And I was like, okay. And I'm bawling. And uh, I'm like, you guys don't understand, like, what's going on. Like, Ryan, like, what's going on? Tell us. Tell us what's going on. Like, this is so big. And I've been hiding it for so long. And uh, I just can't do this anymore. So I said, like, I feel horrible so much. And I feel uncomfortable around my best friends. I feel uncomfortable around my family. I feel really low. I feel really anxious. And I don't know why. 
and uh, I it, like and like I'm like bawling like right now I'm like not but I was so I was a mess and they're like they're like so shocked right so like it was like an hour pulled over in some you know like complex in Fergus <laughs> and I got back to my house and my, my my dad and my sister were there they're like this is serious this isn't Ryan like feeling sad like what's going on here and I'm like I can't do this any longer on my own like I need your help I need everyone's help because this is so big and it's and it hasn't gone away <clears throat> and uh, they're like okay so like later that whole night everyone's like consulting me or consoling me whatever and uh, I'm like okay I feel like good like I feel like I've talked about this and like again like like I did with that first person that at my social worker counselor I talked about how I'm feeling I've talked about how I'm feeling with my parents and my friends they know so the next day I wake up and I'm like okay this feels good like I feel like this is part of like a process to get to where I want to be so I go to work and uh, and uh, it just kind of creeps back up real slow and then by like midday I'm like a mess mentally you know like my coworkers had no idea what's going on and I'm like thinking like I could like stop this today no hope and I, t I text my parents and I said I'm scared I don't know like what's gonna happen with me right now Ugh. and uh, they're of course like freaking out back home I stuck out the day so I don't know why because I didn't want to like make a scene or anything like, like I was still like three weeks into a new job mm -hmm. I made it through the day beyond terrified of like what I could do if that makes sense mm -hmm. with myself and uh, I had all these like visions of like like driving home and, like pulling over and just like doing bad stuff and uh, so like five o'clock rolls around my parents are downstairs in the coffee shop waiting for me like below my office directly to the ER like like we need immediate help because like I don't know what's happening with my life right now. I go to ER. I say that I'm borderline, like, suicidal. And uh, they say, okay, no line. When you say that, <laughs> I got taken to a, a consultation. I got taken to the back room. Totally had to, like, open up about everything. Like, what do you feel? And I'm, like, and I'm, like, getting better at explaining it. Because, like, the past two days have opened up and I told them. So I'm getting better at, like, kind of putting the on it or whatever the saying is and uh they say okay ryan like you have generalized anxiety disorder this is what's going on like you have generalized anxiety disorder and what we're going to do to treat this is ramp up your antidepressant because it's going to help with the depression that you sometimes experience and also the anxiety and i'm like yes yes like i go home i'm like i went to er once i opened up to my family i opened up to the doctors like that's all i needed to do this is like literally it. And I text my buddies that night. I have like, I'll never forget these two big paragraphs over text. And I text all of them and said, this is what's been happening for those that weren't, for all those that weren't there last night, Luke, other than Luke and Graham. And uh, I said, uh, this is what's happened. I've been going through this stuff. This is what's happened tonight. We went to the ER. They said I have general, generalized anxiety disorder, GAD. And this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be back into therapy. I'm going to be committing to medication and whatever. 
and like their responses were like incredible like so nice that like I felt like they actually knew who I was and I don't have to like fake it and so the next day I was like that felt so good it's like before work that morning I'm like frick that felt good like more people need to know about this so I texted like the first layer of friends sorry I guess my first layer would be my best friends like the second layer and then I was like I'm like, I want more people to hear about this. Like third layer, fourth layer, cousins, people I respect. Um, that day I talked to my boss. Three weeks into the job that I have like major mental problems. <laughs> and he's like fully supportive. He's like, Ryan, I don't, I can't fully understand this, but I respect you and I'm supporting you. And I talked to one of my amazing colleagues. Um, and uh, I won't mention her name, but I think it, she listens to this, she'll know who she was. And I opened up to her. She said, like, go to your boss. And then my boss said, go to the founders. And I said, okay. So I talked to the founders. And then I, the sales team was small at that point. It was only myself and two other people and my boss, Sean. Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, I need to talk to my colleagues, other two colleagues. So I pulled them into the kitchen and I said, this is what's happened. I pretty much, like, said what the text said. Like, this is what's happened. This is what happened last night. And they're, like, so supportive. My one colleague was like, I deal with... I have generalized anxiety disorder as well. I'm like, yeah, like I have someone to relate to. <laughs> and, uh, and then yet my other colleague, um, I mean, she just, I just gave her this massive hug. She's like, thank you for telling me this is awesome. And uh, I was like, okay, like everyone in the office who needs to know knows. And I feel like really comfortable in the office now. Um, it's not like you can talk about your, your, your emotions and people are like, oh, like you for sales, like you only have half the quota now because <laughs> you have mental struggles. It's like, no, like, Thanks for talking, but like you still have to perform, and I knew that. And uh, and meanwhile, um, all the people I reached out to are kind of slowly trickling with responses, and it's just like unreal. Like all my sister's friends that I really respect, all my other friends, like family, like everyone that needed to know knew. And it was like one of the best weeks of my life because it was the first time I felt really understood by everyone. And uh, that week ended. Monday, Tuesday, those thoughts kind of start coming back uh so yeah like another week rolled by and again like those friggin judgmental critical anxiety provoking or anxious thoughts come back and it's like i just did this like what else yeah i fell right back into it like right back into the the ups and downs and the really bad depressions and anxieties and everything like that and uh in november i was seeing my general practitioner for like a checkup, we did like I did a physical to see if there's anything going on with my body that causes stuff. Like you can't, you can't so like it's recommended you do that when you have some sort of mental challenge, right? And uh, so that appointment, we booked a psychiatrist appointment as soon as we could, which was in April, and this was end of March. So I was like, perfect, perfect timing. So I go to my psychiatrist, which was like two weeks after, you know, was fine, like made it through those weeks, like no big deal. See my psychiatrist, and I start explaining to him. I gave him like the whole story. And he's, he looks at me after, and he's like, I think you have bipolar. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> Thank you very much. But And you've uh, been telling yourself for a while that you... It just it fell off the you, map. Yeah. Because like, I, I, like, I snipped it. Yeah. Like, I snipped it. I was like, no. <laughs> and he said, I, you have bipolar. So there's two types of bipolar. There's bipolar one and two. Bipolar one is what you hear about. It's, you know, six months of manic you know, impulse shopping, um, maxing out credit cards. And not everyone does that, but that's kind of what it's characterized by. And then you have depression and you have six months of 
of hell, you know, low, deep depression, totally debilitating. And, but it's, so it's, it's long sections. Like bipolar one is characterized by like one or two swings in a year. Bipolar two. So you have with bipolar one, you have manic and depression and that's it. You know, like you, you pass normal, <laughs> you pass it on the ups and downs, but you're not really there that much. And bipolar two is similar, but just the number of swings in the same period of time is a lot more frequent. And it can range from a couple times a week to 10 times a year. So just slightly more than bipolar one. And another difference is that you don't go into manic, you go into what's called hypomanic. So if you can think of a scale where bipolar is negative 10 and manic is positive 10, with bipolar two, you kind of go to positive seven and to negative 10 for depression. So the depression is just as bad, sometimes worse, but the manic, you're not uncontrollable. You're still kind of manageable, but you still have those elevated moods. Anyways, he's explaining this to me. I'm like, dude, like in one ear, out the other, like whatever, just give me some medication that's going to help me out here. And you start talking about mood disorder medication. Again, like this is a big word. Like I have a mood disorder now. Like I thought I had anxiety or I thought I had depression. Like mood disorder is like this next category of intensity when it comes to mental illnesses. Even if I thought I had a mental illness, you know. So he starts throwing around these big words and like medications like lithium and Seroquel and, you know, hypomania, depression, mood disorder, like all these things, like, like all these therapies he wants me in. I'm like, oh my God, like, come on here. So at this point, did you still think there was a, a fix for it? A one, like a fix that would end things? Or were you searching for just coping mechanisms? Did you accept I, that it was going to be a long-term uh, I don't know. It was kind of this, this like limbo of like being like, okay, well, I gotta do this type of medication for six months. He's well. He told me he's like some people do this for a year and they're good. Some people six years. Some people rest their life. And I'm like, I'm probably gonna be a six month kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the six months. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, yeah. So, anyways, that first meeting with him was tough because there's a lot of uh, a lot of big terms to digest. And so I, I see him every three weeks. So I, I still do. I see him this week. And uh, so it's nice because the first step with that process was getting me off antidepressant because he said antidepressants trigger bipolar. They trigger you into hypomania or they trigger you into a depression, like get you off that. And you can't just stop that medication. So it was like a month, like maybe six week process to wean off the antidepressants. Meanwhile, I'm still experiencing all the side effects they're creating in me because now I have, I don't know or believe it, but I have this bipolar disorder underneath, underneath, underneath like whatever like happening uh, as well so uh um so yeah i get off the antidepressant as soon as i get off that he's like okay now we're gonna get you on a mood disorder medication called seroquel by the way it has the most side effects out of any single mood disorder but it's the only one that treats hypomania and depression at the same time so it prevents you from going too high and it prevents you from going too low if it works it works great if it doesn't you have really bad side effects I'm like, so what kind of side effects are we talking about here, man? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he's like, well, like people experience like severe anxiety. People experience worse depression. People have memory loss. People feel mental fog. Um, people, you know, just have a hard time like putting words together and all this stuff. I'm like, well, like best of luck here. So um, I go on it. And again, like these mood disorder medications, you ramp them up slowly. But uh, so, yeah, I start going up and 
you know, like I would have like two days of like feeling pretty good. And I, I, I journaled everything every day. I'm journaling like AM PM, what mood, how much anxiety, whatever, whatever. And, um, and I'm just kind of like, like I have a couple of good days, more bad days, a couple of good days, more bad days. And so I see them every three weeks and slowly ramp it up because you have to get to a therapeutic range because if you're not at the therapeutic range, you're not reaching the full potential of the medication. So if you're below the therapeutic range, which could be 200 milligrams a day, and I'm at 100, you still have to get to 200 to like see if that's the kind of special number, magic number. So again, you can't, even though you have these side effects, you still got to push through them to get to that therapeutic range. And so we get to the range after a couple months and like it's, the side effects are worse than they've ever been. Um, the depression's worse. I'm so mentally foggy. It's unbelievable. Like to have a conversation was so hard because I'd have, if you think about this, like, you know, when you have a thought and you just kind of think like, oh, what did I do, you know, last night? Okay. You think about last night, you think about who you're with, whatever, whatever. And you just kind of go and you, and then you kind of piece it all together. And it happens like that, obviously. It's not like a decision-making process. But what would happen for me in that situation was I would think about it, what I did last night, and then the cord would be snipped. The thought cord, if you can say that, got snipped. And it's just like, what? What? I, I can't even communicate what I did last night. I can kind of remember, but I can't like think about it. It's really messed up to think about. And... Uh, and that's what it was like. I, I'll never forget this. I had a company meeting, like our town hall. And uh, this was like at one of the worst. And um, so I guess to kind of fast forward, like that was pretty much the entire summer. Okay. So I, I, this all started in And you're still working? April, working full time. Right. Um, and like, like I was happy with my performance. It was great. You know, like I maintained my job. So then that kind of brought me all the way till like, um, let's say September. Going through like all these, I don't want to make it a sob story, but again, it's just like a lot of these challenges and it got worse. Like with my friends, I felt really uncomfortable and like depression, anxiety, like just up and down, roller coaster. And uh, so then he said, okay, well, now we're going to try and put you on another medication to see if that helps with the depression. So I'm on this one called Seroquel that helps with both. He's going to introduce this one called Latuda that helps with depression because with mood disorders, it's not always one. It's like this kind of cocktail of medications. And, um, and so he's like, okay, let's do this. So we, I stay at that same level I was on the first one, Seroquel, that helps both. And then we slowly ramped up the other one. And the combination of the two, like, was so, like, really intense side effects, to say the least. And I'll never forget this. I was at my company meeting, town hall. And one of my colleagues who I've been working with for, like, six months, like, we got along great, like, a lot of good conversations, like, obviously knew who she was and stuff. And uh, she comes up to me and starts talking to me. And I was at like one of my worst days and uh, totally in my head, like not even in the moment whatsoever, totally anxious, whatever in my head. I say in my head, that's how I describe it, in my head. Like, like I, the thoughts and everything are just here. Like you don't feel stuff when you rub something. It's just like in your head. And uh, she came up to me and started talking to me. And I'm looking at her because I'm in my head. I'm like, I'm not even thinking about the conversation. I'm like, I can't remember your name. And I look back at her and I'm like, I can't remember your name. Like, this is crazy. And uh, so I tell my doctor, I'm like, my psychiatrist, I'm like, this this one's not working. <laughs> I'm done. Like, I'm done with medication with all these side effects and stuff. Like, I need a break. So he's like, okay, we'll, we'll see you in two months. And I'm like, like, 
you don't, you understand how much can happen with me in two months, right? And he's like, well, if you're not going to see me for medication, there's a six-month waiting list for people to come see me. I was like, okay, I guess like I overcommitted here. I'm like not going on medication. And so um, he's like, okay. So then I uh, said, cool. My parents were supportive because I actually started weaning off it like the week before and feeling better without his permission. I was like, that's why it made me start thinking like I should go off this. Anyways, I went off. I made it a month and I called him up again. I was like, I need to see you. Let's try another medication because <laughs> I can't do this alone. And again, that's part of the acceptance. Like that was a stage of the acceptance. It's like I tried going on my own because I, I thought I could again and I can't. Like I need help. I need medical help to live comfortably, you know. Um, and so I called him up, got an appointment. He's like, okay, we're getting you back, you on, back on medication. So he put me on this one, other one. Um, I can't remember the name. And uh, it's for it's just for the depression. So bipolar, like you need both. You need to address the hypomanic and you need depression. So this is just for the depression. He's like, this will keep you from going too low. And so what would happen is I would, it started working pretty well. So I, I wouldn't really be depressed. So then it would push me up into hypomania. And that wouldn't last because you're always changing your mood. So hypomania would last for a couple of days. And then, and then, there's nothing stopping the hypomania from going too high. And then it would just crash and, and into such a deep low that it takes a while for the, or the depression, the mood disorder, the depressive mood disorder medication to boost you back up. But because I so go it was so high. So lagging behind yeah, where you wanted to be. It was right, right. So you go so high that you just crash below the level of depression you've been at before because it was mm -hmm. this such a high spike, if that makes sense. And... Uh, so then I needed medication for the hypomania. And the side effects of this depressive one were also pretty bad. So he's like, let's get you off the depressive one. Let's get you on another medication. And we'll also put you on one for hypomania. So then he says, lithium. We're going to put you on lithium. And I'm like, that sounds like a friggin' science experiment. <laughs> like there's lithium in batteries. That's what came to mind for me. Yeah. Lithium ion or whatever. Yeah, lithium ion. Like, I love electric vehicles. I don't want them in my brain. <laughs> right, right. And uh, he said, we're going to put you on lithium. And, like, for me, it was, like, I'd kind of come to terms with bipolar by this point. But, like, when that was, like, comparable to when he said you have bipolar, like that, like, denial. When he said I have to be on lithium, it was, like, not for me. Like, I, are you sure? There's got to be something else. He's, like, this is the most effective one for hypomania. I'm, like, Okay. And it's this one where you have to get your blood tested. It's like, it's a lot more, like there's a lot more steps to just going on lithium than other medications. You don't, you don't just take it um, because if you take too much, you get um, a, uh, what's the word? Like you get, um, you can like get too much chemical in your body, I guess. Not like overdose, but it can it really have negative effects. And so I get on this, this, uh, um, Lithium, I get on this medication, Latuda, for depression, and we start ramping them up. And uh, again, side effects come back. It's like, what, what is going on here? And uh, that brings me to like this past November. I guess I'll be like eight months in total. And uh, he's like, okay, now that this Latuda one for depression isn't working very well, let's, get, let's introduce another anti a depressive, not antidepressant, depressive one, and see if in combination they work well. And lithium should man manage your hypomania. These two in combination should manage your depressive stage. And I was like, whatever you have to do, I'm taking it. 
and uh, so yeah, th- so like those two in combination actually started working pretty well. And um, it took a while to get the right dosage because like you take them at night and they work great until like five o'clock the next day. But then the half life of the medication, I don't even know how this stuff works, but half life, I guess it fades away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By like eight o'clock at night, I'd be like, like in the trenches. So it's getting to a, a level of medication where it brings you through a, the level that you need to be at throughout the entire day. And so um, I'm, I'm, I slowly build that up and I'm kind of there now. And I'm not saying that I am cured or my problems are solved because last night I had, I was like fully depressed and like feeling like I couldn't do this anymore. But now I know that like those thoughts are just part of this disorder and it's just a matter of like recognizing them when you have those thoughts. Like last night I was ready, like I was like fully ready to like give up. Like I wasn't going to, but it's those thoughts. And now I'm at a point where like I see those thoughts as thoughts. It's like that's a sign that I'm going into a mood swing. And what can I now do again to set myself up for success given this change? So you're accepting that change in your mood and then realizing what is going to be most effective moving forward right now, given that. So for me, it was like leaving the party, putting ice on my neck, um, working so hard to be mindful, um, getting a good sleep, not drinking anymore that night. I had one beer and after I realized what I was going through, no more drinking. Um, I left the party. I splashed water in my face in the bathroom, cold water. It's like all these things that you can do once you accept the change. And if you reject that change and you push it, you're not only suffering, but you're also, sorry, let me rephrase that. You're not also going through the pain of that mood, which I still went through last night, but you're not suffering. If you reject your mood, you're going through the pain of that mood but you're also going through the suffering because of you're rejecting it. Like when you reject something, you're fighting it. You're fighting your mood. You're fighting your thoughts. Everything is just this big battle. But if you can accept that change, you just kind of figure out how to go with it and understand that like this is just something that's happening. And what can I now do to be most effective? It's like on a Sunday night, you know, when you have all these things to do and all you want to do is watch a movie and relax Sunday night. But you know you need to do laundry. You know you need to empty the dishwasher. You know you should cook a dinner, prepare your lunch for the next day. So in that situation, what is going to be most effective for you to set yourself up for success that week? Obviously not watch a movie. (laughs) So like with a mood change or any sort of mental disorder, when you're anxious, when you're depressed, when you're any sort of mood disorder or mental health challenge or issues, like if you can accept what's going on, you can then start doing what's most effective rather than fighting it and continuing the, 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 the suffering. There's a difference between the time when you're at a level point or near level and a point when you're feeling anxious, feeling depressed, feeling manic, when it's harder to tell yourself that. How do you do that when your mindset is then not at the neutral point where, you, where you're able to think of that? It's harder. It's, that's when you have to do it. Like last night, I, was, like I wasn't in a normal spot last night. I was like, like my mind was exploding. It's probably because I was tired because this, this week's been crazy for me ever since that like article got published about this ride. Like it's just been nuts. 
and uh, I just crashed. And last night was the crash, and I was like fully in a low mood. Um, and I've just learned that like that's when you have to catch those thoughts, the social anxiety thoughts, the um, judgmental, critical thoughts, the depressive feelings, the feelings of lost hope, the feelings of shame looking at the past, the feelings of no no positive future. You gotta like work so hard to like to like identify those and then start doing what's most effective. Like that's the biggest learning with all like this. Like and like one of the most important things that I've learned and I, I really want to emphasize like I'm not solved, but I have really worked hard to like develop that toolbox of different strategies I can use when I'm in those situations where I need that help. Um, because as I've mentioned, like slow talking, that works great for social anxiety. Uh, mindfulness breathing, that works great for anxiety. Depression, what works well for that? Watching a funny show. Um, you know, so with mood disorders and mental health issues, you go through so many fluctuations in emotions, you need to have tools that can address all of those different stages of moods and emotions. Because there's never one thing. Medication doesn't solve your issues. Meditation doesn't solve your issues. Mindfulness doesn't solve your issues. Getting a tattoo to remind you to stay mindful doesn't solve your issues. Cycling doesn't, or exercise doesn't solve your issues, but it's when you are effectively using those, strategically using those in all those different situations where um, they're needed. Yeah, that's like, that's like, that's like, I'm still like learning those strategies, but like that is like one of like the biggest realizations I've taken away from this whole process. It's like, you can't, remember I kept saying I'm so disappointed all these times, that like mm -hmm. this is supposed to be the cure. Like, so now I know that like talking about my feelings is important. Exercise is important. Diet's important. Mindfulness is important. Meditation is important. Um, speaking slowly is important. Um, being honest with my friends is important. Um, you know, not being afraid to expose your, uh, yeah, exposure to emotions is important. So it's like, you can't, you gotta like, you gotta, like everyone's toolbox is different, but like you gotta really just build that out so that you're, you can be effective in a lot of different situations. Is it overwhelming having that many tools? <laughs> no, because you need them. Like you want as many as possible. So it's almost a sense of calm knowing that you it's have, okay you have all these I've options. Got a tool for it. Exactly. Like one of the, like I'm in this therapy, like DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy. And one of the things is like creating your crisis plan, like when you need the tools to um, help when, when you need them. So like for me, it's like when I'm really, really anxious or when I'm really, really depressed, depressed, what's the plan I'm going to follow? Number one, ice on the neck. That like really helps calm me down. Just like freezes your neck, slows down the blood flow. It's really nice. Listening to like fun music, watching The Office for me, like just kind of like enjoying something funny or watching like fail videos. Um, going for a walk, like, again, like you can't bank on one thing, like solving all your issues, but it's like, okay, let's create a plan here. That's going to, again, set me up for success given this current mental state. How do you deal with the thought that these episodes are going to occur over again in the future? Like that comes up a lot in my mind, especially like what happens is I'm in this mood and I'm like, how the frick am I going to get another job? How am I going to have a family? How am I going to maintain a relationship? How am I going to meet new friends? All this stuff. Like those are like the inst instinctual thoughts that come up, but those are the thoughts you have to identify and kind of come back with, okay, look what I've done so far. I've made it through all of these swings. 
and everyone's story is going to be different. But for my, for myself, it's I've maintained a job. I've met a new girlfriend. I've met new friends. I've gone to bars and met people, you know, all these things that all these experiences that give you confidence in yourself that like you're still going to be able to do it in the future. And, uh, and yeah, so when you're looking in the future and those thoughts come up, it's just like, initially you're like overwhelmed, like crazy, crazy. And then it's just like, okay, wait a minute. I have gone through this in the past. My tattoo is a reminder for me of what I've gone through and I can still be effective. And, and everyone going through mood disorders or mental health issues, like they're still here. Something worked. So like, think about that as a, a success. And so when you're thinking about the future, for me, it's like, okay, I've gone through all this. My future experiences are going to be different. New challenges, new experiences, whatever. But I know that I can get through it. And I have all these tools in my box now that are going to help me. I have my family support system. I have all these tools. I have therapy. I have medication. I have myself to do like things like exercise and stuff. So like, I'm going to get through this. Like, you just have to have that confidence in yourself that like what you've been through has been hard what your future is going to be hard or your future is going to be hard too. No doubt it's going to be hard, but you have to have that confidence that you made it through and you're going to keep making it through. And that's, and that kind of comes back to hope as well. Like you, you gotta, you can't give up hope in yourself because my motto is as soon as you give up hope in yourself, people give up hope in you. So you got to hold on to that as much as possible and, and build that intrinsic confidence to kind of keep pushing you forward. I love that. The one, one of my favorite quotes is actually from, Barack Obama and he talks about hope it was a speech he gave and I don't know if you've ever heard it but it ties into exactly what you're saying because he says when he talks about hope he says not the type of hope that just avoids the enormity of the task ahead or the roadblocks that stand in our path that's what he says and it's almost it's not a hope of with no preparation no toolbox it's just hope random hope just sitting there and that's not what you're talking about you're talking about hope effective hope i've overcome fears i've dealt with the lows dealt with the highs and on that way i built a toolbox with me and that's my hope that's reinforced by it's only going to get stronger exactly and I, i think that's key when you talk about hope is that it's not just this hypothetical you know far off thought that's just um, hanging there it's, it's a it's a thought that's reinforced and stabilized by tools and characteristics and life experiences that you've gone through that aren't all easy mm-hmm. and really they were all difficult yeah the yeah. one thing I, I really like that you continue to come around to is that it's not all sunshine and rainbows no I think you I mean I'm preaching to the choir on that for sure <laughs> which I think is incredible so let's carry let's keep going the energy is is awesome right now so you have the plan to bike across the country of Canada how when did that come up how take me through that like were you sitting at home one day and thought I'm gonna bike across Canada have you biked that far in the past yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, so I, I grew up, I mean, that was one of the sports I didn't mention, but I grew up mountain biking a lot. And uh, my dad started road biking and kind of said it's fun. And I'm like, I don't want to go in a spandex suit and bike on the highway for like Because you didn't want to do that with skiing. Yeah, either. pretty much. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but like, still, like, it's flat. Not flat, but like, you're just pedaling. Like, mountain biking is fun because it's constantly a challenge. Anyways, I kind of slowly got into it. And when uh, was that? Probably four years ago. Okay. And, uh, yeah, kind of slowly got into it and, uh, really my dad got a new bike. So I got his old one. It was a little big, but I just kind of made it work until I uh, drove into a parkade with it on my roof. And then that was the end of that bike. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> way to get a new bike though. 
I yeah yeah. So yeah, I mean, it kind of was this interest that kind of slowly started building up, and you know, I did rides when I was on exchange in Denmark. I met my dad in southern France, and we did part of the Tour de France route, and went up you know like one of the hardest um, climbs through the mountains, and it was like such a rewarding experience, right? Like you're at the top of a mountain range, with, like snow everywhere, and like you're looking down at this valley with those tiny little towns and rivers, like way down, and so it was a really cool experience, and like stuff like that. When you, when you experience in a sport, like with hockey, you win a championship. And like, those are the things you hold on to. And for me, that was like another ex- great experience that I kind of got me more into the sport. And so last year, I decided that I wanted to train for a 100-mile race uh, up in Collingwood. And again, this was kind of while I was going through all these challenges, but it was like something I want to work toward. Like, I think this would be good for me to like have a goal that I can wake up in the morning, go for bike rides before work and on the weekends. So I was like, okay, I'm committing. I, I paid $150, registered like four months before. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is what's going to happen. So I trained and um, it, like a lot of ups and downs in that process, but I did it. Like I, I, I raced, I did the race, finished the hundred miles. It was really emotional for me. Um, I came into the finish line like crying because like of what I've done. I feel like I was so proud of myself because like I had gone through all these ups and downs, like all those side effects I was talking about. And I still got to train. I still, I, I committed to it. Like I didn't like give up. And so it was a really rewarding experience. And, uh, and it's like, for me, it's rewarding. Cause like I overcame the mental obstacles and physically it was great too. But like, it's like, it's like hundred miles. Right. And, uh, and so I was like, this is good for me mentally, you know? So like last summer, I started talking to my buddy Jack, and I, we were golfing up in Muskoka, and I was like, I really think I want to like bike across Canada and raise money or awareness for mental health. And he's like, dude, that'd be awesome. I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. It's like next topic. Oh, what are we doing after this? You know, like it's just kind of like, you know, whatever. And I forgot about it, and then it come up again, and I forget about it. And it was just kind of this on and off thing. And then I knew I wanted to work for a year to get that experience under my belt um, before taking off or traveling. And I was like approaching my one year, and I was like, okay, like, what can I do here? Like, I got, I'm young, I'm not committed to paying rent, I live at home, really, like, great, flexible girlfriend, and, uh, and I was like, do I want to travel? I'm like, yeah, that'd be great, but, like, when I come home, what am I going to do? Am I going to be, like, fulfilled in myself when I come home? Like, am I going to, like, solve problems? Am I going to, like, yeah, feel fulfilled with that experience? Maybe. Or am I going to go sit on a beach and, like, drink in, like, Fiji for, like, two months, you know? And so I was like, okay, like maybe that's not the best option. Even though I want to do it, okay, what else can I do? I was like, what about this ride across Canada? And it kind of started like trickling into my mind again. So about a month ago, I uh, was in Vancouver for a conference for work. And after the conference, I stayed in Vancouver for four days and told my dad and my sister we're going to fly out to, uh, to BC and we're going to go on a ski trip. We're going to go powder skiing. It's called cat skiing. So you jump in a groomer and it takes you up the hill. It's all backcountry and then you just go down and ski powder like untouched. So it's like... It's premium skiing. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that's the kind of skiing I like, not racing. <laughs> right, right, right. And so I was in Vancouver, and the conference was over. I ended up staying in a hostel, um, and uh, like a youth hostel, and met this like really great German guy, uh, Nicholas. And we were talking, and he's like, so what are you doing? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm kind of at this point now where like I may want to like quit my work and stuff. He's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, like... I think it'd be cool to like bike across Canada. Like I'm, I'm meeting him. Like he's literally traveling Canada for a year or like six months. And I'm like thinking like, I want to do something adventurous. So I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking to do this kind of like trying to impress him, I guess. And he's like, you should do that. I'm like, yeah, maybe I, maybe I should. 
And then I meet my other buddy, Connor, who's like the, one of the most adventurous, like cool guys I know. And, and I tell him, he's like, dude, do that. That'd be awesome. I'm like, all right, maybe I will do this thing. <laughs> and uh, so then that kind of goes by and I'm like feeling really motivated about it and feeling how cool it would be to like raise awareness for mental health too. It's not just a physical challenge. It's like, maybe I want to like tell my story. And so I went to the ski resort. It's like a little lodge. There's 12 people there and a uh, husband and wife run it. The husband drives the machine to take you up and the wife works and kind of guides the group down the hill. And I was talking to the husband and I was like, I was like, Brad, like his name is Brad. And I said, Brad, like, you must be really passionate about this, eh? And he's like, Ryan, if I wasn't passionate about this, I wouldn't be doing it. He said, he said, if it ever comes the time when the next group of people are pulling up the driveway to our lodge for the next week of skiing, and I'm looking at those headlights being like, again, like really, he's like, life is too short to not do what makes you happy. It's way too short. He's like, as soon as that happens, I'll move on to the next thing. But right now I'm enjoying it. But you got to do what makes you happy. And I'm like, all right, I think this is kind of the time. You can only bike across Canada four months of the year or else it's kind of the weather doesn't help or weather isn't good. So I said, in my head, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. So I literally, we flew home after the trip on the airplane. I'm like writing out this like, essay on my phone typing like a madman saying like my whole story and that's what's on my website in the story so i typed that out on the on the airplane just like whatever whatever put it together showed it to my dad and my sister i'm like i think i want to bike across canada they're like cool like whatever i'm like can you read this and they're like wow that was really cool so i get home that night i'm like mom can you read this before i tell her i'm gonna bike across canada like you gotta understand why <laughs> yeah so i give her the phone she reads it she's like ryan like i get it like you have to do this i'm like okay so I started planning. I was like, okay, like let's make this actually realistic. So I started planning the route. What supplies do I need? And then the conversation came of, um, you know, talking to my boss and my coworkers. And again, like just to kind of emphasize here, like it's not the physical challenge of like that re rewarding challenge of completing this physical you know, feat. It was like, how can I affect, excuse me, as many people as possible on this, yeah. on this challenge? Like, I have a lot to say, I feel like, and I really want that to, like, excuse me, be brushed off into other people and, like, inspire other people to, like, not give up on themselves. And, like, if you have mental health challenges, like, you can make it through. Like, the, the future will be okay. Mm -hmm. It may not be sunshine the entire time, but, like, you will get through. And you can still have a good life. Um, you can still have great friends. You can still have partners. You can still have kids. It's just, like... You just got to figure out what works for you. Like, and like, it's a commitment to like the therapies and the strategy and the coping mechanisms, the medication, the psychiatrist. Like, you have to make that commitment for yourself and you can do it. So like this whole ride is like not only for me to open up my story, which I think will help people who do struggle. It'd be like, okay, they're not alone because that's one of the hardest things like when you feel alone. And so hopefully let them feel like comfortable with their emotions and also inspire them to like never give up. Like you may feel like you're going to give up in that moment, but like you got to cash that thought and be like, I, I can't do this for myself, for my family, for my friends, for my future. Um, you just can't do that. So like this whole mind cycle, the event that, I'm, that I've done, which is called mind cycle, um, is for that. It's like for that inspiration for people to never give up and keep working hard because like you can get through this. Um, and it's inspiration for myself too. I'm one of them. I am someone who deals with like, mental health challenges like for me this is inspiration for myself too and like i get inspired by hearing other people's stories so anyways yeah like i talked to my boss and he was like fully supportive of it like like i can't i have so much respect for him 
Um, I talked to my entire sales team, which is like 12 people now, and I told them what's going on and why I'm doing this ride, fully supportive. Then I talked to my entire company two days ago, giving them the spiel about my website, why I'm doing this, like really emotional and intense. And now I've done the Facebook post, I got the article posted. So I just really feel like, like even if it ended right now, I'm like, I would be totally satisfied with the amount of people I've touched. Um, the amount of people I've helped, like people have messaged me, complete strangers have messaged me being like, I read your article and like, I'm going through this. My mom committed suicide. My brother has bipolar, whatever. Like everyone has a mental health story. And uh, it just feels so good getting people talking about it. Like, that, like talking about it is like one of the hardest things, as I mentioned earlier, like just talking about it. And like, I'm hoping this can drive conversations about it. So have you biked? 8,000 kilometers before that is I know that's the distance so what is yeah what's the farthest you've biked 100 miles so 160 kilometers and so I'm, I'm planning on doing that every day when I'm away 160 kilometers every day so instead yeah. of doing 88 kilometers a day which is it's going to be over three months right yeah so well there's some days off in there too and yeah so you'd rather do intermittent and then stop and do like you know meet people and stop at home so yeah like 100 150 125 kilometers a day okay and what is the plan for eating, sleeping? So eating is going to be kind of a toss-up. Like if there's Tim Hortons, I'll get Tim Hortons. A lot of I'll, Cliff Bars. Cliff Bars, Snickers Bars. Like <laughs> eat a ton of, or sorry, drink a ton of water with my camel back and stuff. Um, sleeping will be a mix. There's a there's an app called Warm Showers. So it's a free Airbnb for cyclists. Wow. So you set that up like just a couple days in advance. I'm bringing a tent and sleeping bag. Motels if I have to. So it, trying to save money here um so trying to do as many free options as possible and then dinners will just be kind of like local restaurants tim hortons hopefully i can meet people and then get some free meals and stuff so amazing what do you have any worries going into this because <laughs> i i bounced this idea off a of buddy once i heard about your story i'm like this is incredible and and then even after talking on the phone just hearing <laughs> your getting to know you just over the phone i mean this conversation alone proves it even more but just you know what i think he's gonna do it because this guy knows the guy i was talking with has stories of people that gave up i don't want to say gave up that's not the right term people that had to stop because of the bugs yeah 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 saskatchewan i it's gonna take a lot for me to stop like maybe a serious injury or something but i just feel like i've i've got so much motivation now like not only intrinsically but um you know all these people have reached out like like people I just feel like people need to see this done, not only to spread the awareness and message, but like this is like a testament of like someone going through mental health challenges can accomplish this big feat. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can too. Mm -hmm. So then what challenges do you see? Um, like weather, like animals. I don't know. Like if I'm like people have encountered like bears on the road in BC and Alberta or more BC. That'd be a good selfie though. <laughs> from a distance yeah, i'm not going from near a, those yeah things. from a distance yeah um <laughs> uh, yeah i mean that and then one of my biggest fears is like not creating as much awareness as possible wow yeah like um just so important like for this to get out there i just i just wanted to touch as many people as possible it's not it's so important to emphasize like i'm not doing this for me like it's i'm giving myself confidence in my mental health but like i'm not trying to promote this for me i, I really hope people will understand that's like I'm doing this like to promote this cause this initiative that's going to help people and I just I'm scared I'm not scared but I just I just I'm so committed to let it touch as many people as possible and I'm worried that like right. it won't right so off of that then when it's just you and your bike do you think that what you deal with with mental health and bipolar that 
it, that could be an issue during 100%, the ride. 100%. Yeah. It's going to happen. Wow. It's going to happen a lot because it happens a lot right now. Mm-hmm. And but you catch those thoughts. You catch it and like you call someone or like you do have a cold sh- like it's just you you, you just you have utilize. your box, you, your yep. toolbox yep. and just plug away and just kind of keep cuz things will change, things come around. And so one of my most important questions is what is the plan for people riding with you? As many people as possible. And do they have to have a certain bike? I'm asking for myself actually. Um no, let's You'll come slow out. it down I'll for slow those down. that aren't quite it's as more fast important as you. To get, it's more important to get that awareness than for me to, for me to like race through the day. Like I don't care. So then, if I'll, I I'll, this, I could do this in six months. I don't care. <gasps> I love it. So if I if I then wanted to join you, or if other people listening to this podcast in different the, parts the of the country <laughs> 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 wanted to join you during your your 160, whatever it ends up being. Through their area, people can yeah. follow on social media, follow on your website, and Instagram. hop in and, and Instagram and, and ride with you. Yeah, that's incredible. I may I may take you up on that, pump the tires up, and yeah, buddy, uh, let's go. <laughs> so, and how can people support beyond the beyond joining you on the bike? Which yeah, I'm hoping a lot of people decide to do. I, I for one, I'm going to track you down and, and definitely do some kilometers with you. How how else can people support? Just sharing the message, like. Again, I'm not doing this for me. So, like, I'm, I'm asking people to share my Instagram account, my Facebook post, because, like, let's spread this as much as possible. People people need to hear this. So, share my post, share my website, direct people to my website, you know, go onto my Instagram, follow this. Like, I'm, like Instagram for me is, like, this project. Like, I'm not just posting pictures of, of portraits of my face. It's, like, I'm posting pictures of, like, different coping mechanisms and, like, just tips and tricks that work for me to help other people. So, it's, like, it's just this big resource base that people can go to to, help themselves and yeah just create just help spread the word really and what does the name clara hughes mean to you in all of this someone i'd love to talk to <laughs> yeah i mean she's a big inspiration like an olympic athlete that's gone through all these challenges that's like like it should be someone that everyone going through mental health issues should look up to and be like she's done this i can get a job um it's, how, it's so hard sometimes for me but like like talking in there she was like it can be so hard to get a job but i can do it i can go to school I can commit to therapy. I can stop drinking. I can stop doing drugs. Like you got to like think about that. Like these other uh, stories and like use that for confidence for yourself. Cause like everyone's level of experience with mental health is different, but like you can still like pull that confidence from other stories and like try to use it for yourself and keep you kind of motivated. Well, I foresee you being a similar idol or a similar inspiration to people yeah as clara is for others dealing with with mental health and she's an incredible incredible individual and i i sense those same characteristics and courage with you and i I believe that when you finally touch down on the other side of the country that there are going to be a lot of people at your back and you would have helped yeah and are going to continue helping yeah a lot of people i wish you the best on your ride <laughs> i wish you the best on your journey with everything you've got going on i can't thank you enough for taking this time today let's uh well i'll, I'll be i'll be waiting then for you to pass through ontario and sounds see good. where i can see where i can catch up with you and get a couple kilometers in sounds good thanks for being here no worries buddy that's awesome <laughs> On the message of mental health and and providing support for others, just keep in mind, Amber Schufelt said it best when she discussed helping others and encouraging others through adversity is that you may have a message to send and you want to make sure it's perfectly executed and you're saying the right things. You know what? A lot of times 
what you're going to say is going to help someone in a way that you haven't even thought of. So just being there, lending a hand, being by someone's side, an ear, a voice to talk to can make a huge impact, more than you would have thought and probably in a way that you wouldn't even have thought of. So continue to be there for others. And for the next three months, let's be there for Ryan Martin that takes on 8,000 kilometers of biking across Canada. As a reminder, mindcycle.ca is the website to support. Ryan leaves in the second week of May and is taking a three-month journey across Canada. I encourage you to support on social media, however you can. I think it's going to be something special, and I know he's going to help a lot of people. So do your part in, in helping out. Share this message. Share this podcast. And we'll see you next week on the Heroic Minds podcast.